everyone and welcome to your daily dose of medicine with AMSA Malaysia. We advocate for knowledge, action and friendship. Enjoy! Hey everybody! First off, good afternoon. My name is Tikshana Navinna, also known as Tiki. And I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Joyce Lee from AMSA MU. So welcome to your daily dose of medicine a podcast that explores many pressing questions and conditions in the field of healthcare. Before we delve into all the fun stuff for today, I'd like to talk a little bit about our partner for this podcast series, Lecturio. Lecturio, you may already have heard about them, but for those of you who don't know, Lecturio is an exceedingly popular medical education resource which aims to aid students in learning the fast amount of information required to become a healthcare practitioner. So do check Lecture out. It is really a wonderful resource. You know what it feels like. You're in medical school and you want those high scores that will help you land the specialty of your choice. Listen up. Lecturio.com makes high scores achievable for all medical students. With award-winning educators providing short and up-to-date video lectures, you'll learn medical concepts faster than ever before. Apply the concepts you've learned with the Lecturio Question Bank. Be prepared for test day with thousands of up-to-date board-style questions with text and video explanations. Finally, improve your ability to recall key information with an integrated spaced repetition system that tells you exactly when to review what you've learned. Need on-the-spot support? Use the free Lecturio Book Matcher. You can now simply scan any textbook page to turn it into an explanatory video lecture. Sounds great, right? Go to Lecturio.com, create your free account, and start mastering medical concepts today. Now on to today's podcast topic. So today we're going to be exploring epilepsy. And yes, I know a lot of you might already have a bunch of burning questions to ask. But let's start off with perhaps, hmm, what about... What is epilepsy? Well, who better to help us explore this topic on our podcast than our distinguished guest for today, Dr. Chin Song Koo. As far as experts in the field of epilepsy in Malaysia go, there are none like Dr. Koo, who is currently a senior lecturer and consultant neurologist at UKM Medical Center. Dr. Koo is a very active member in the world of neurology, being a part of ILE, the International League Against Epilepsy. In addition to this, he's also a part of many prestigious groups and organizations, such as the Royal Colleges of Physicians of Edinburgh, Glasgow, and Ireland, as well as the European Board of Neurology. It truly is an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast, Dr. Koo. How are you doing today? Hi, Vicky. Joyce, good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. Can you hear me? Yep. You're perfectly audible, Doctor. Great. Uh, it's my honor. And I feel so delighted and excited about uh, sharing my talk. Yeah. Honestly, Doctor, mm, epilepsy, from my obviously very limited knowledge compared to the vast amount of knowledge that you possess, is definitely a very, very important and pressing issue. I'm pretty sure our listeners for today are equally as excited and interested to learn more about this condition that not very many people really truly understand. And trust me, the more I study, the more I do not know. <laughs> that, that seems to be the case with a lot of things. Anyways, 
Doctor, would you like to take us through perhaps what epilepsy is? You know, your understanding of epilepsy is vastly different to mine or Joyce's, or perhaps anyone tuning into our podcast. So if you don't mind, why don't you take us through what epilepsy is? I guess that's a place to start, yeah? Sure, my pleasure. Okay, once again, uh, thank you so much, uh, Fiki, for your kind introduction, and uh, thank you to Joyce uh, from the MSR IMU for uh, inviting me to give this talk. So as I said, I was given about 10 to 15 minute tops to deliver this lecture. And epilepsy, I guess, uh, is never sufficient. It takes weeks to months or even years to, to understand this, or even the whole uh, lifetime to understand this disease. So but I try to make it as uh, easy as possible though it's not easy, in 10 minutes. So again, uh, my name is Ching Sung Koo from the UKM. I think uh, this is very crucial and um, uh, timely to know about epilepsy. I think when we talk about neurological disorders, uh, people are more familiar with stroke, uh, Parkinson's disease, and so on. However, let me tell you, that epilepsy is also one of the most common neurological disorders around the world. And we have approximately 50 million people who are down with epilepsy. And up to 80% of them uh, actually reside in low and middle income countries, which include Malaysia. And more than two thirds of them could live seizure free if they are properly diagnosed and treated. And what worries us is that the risk of premature death in people with epilepsy is up to three times higher. And very unfortunately, you know, 75% of people living with epilepsy are from the low-income countries who do not get the treatment they are supposed to get. And epilepsy affects people of all ages. So this is a prevalence study uh, uh, which is done by our colleagues uh, from different national institutions, which concluded that the prevalence of lifetime epilepsy in Malaysia is close to eight per 1,000 persons. So now let us look at the definitions. Um, a lot of us, including doctors, try to equate seizures with epilepsy. So I must stress again that seizures are symptoms. Epilepsy is a disease. So a seizure is a sudden change in the behavior caused by electrical hypersynchronization of neuronal networks in the cerebral cortex, which is manifested as motor seizure, jerking, stiffening, and even you know, sudden pause of your thoughts yeah, blank staring, and even a speech arrest. So acute symptomatic seizure refers to a seizure that occurs at the time of a systemic insult, for example, hypoglycemia, or in close temporal associ association with a documented brain insult, like an uh, intracranial hemorrhage. I'm going to talk about this more later. And unprovoked seizures usually occur Will happen without a clear uh, etiology. However, they carry a higher risk of developing epilepsy in the future. Whereas epilepsy, as I said, this is a, a disease, a very heterogeneous, 
uh, uh, chronic disorder characterized by a propensity to develop epileptic seizures in the future. So if you look at the uh, International League Against Epilepsy uh, definition, uh, these are the three uh, criteria how uh, or the three points that how we could diagnose somebody with epilepsy. The first one is if somebody has at least two unprovoked or reflex seizures more than 24 hours apart, or one provoke, one sorry, one unprovoked seizure, and the probability of a further seizure similar to the general recurrence risk after the two provoked seizures more than 60% over the next 10 years. So, and the third one is if you manage to establish a diagnosis of an epilepsy syndrome. So any of this fulfills the criteria to diagnose somebody with an epilepsy. So when it comes to acute symptomatic seizure, these are all the causes that uh, we have to uh, extensively look for. So it could be a subarachnoid bleeding, any acute ischemic event, for example, a stroke, traumatic brain injury, any metabolic disturbances, for example, hypoglycemia, hyponatremia, uremia, hypocalcemia, any CNS infections, and any drug intoxication. So uh, that's an easy way to remember. There's a mnemonic called Saturday. I mean, Sat MACD. So Saturday, you go to eat MACD. So I hope that with that, you remember to look for all the possible causes for any acute symptomatic seizure. Then when it comes to etiology for epilepsy, uh, this is a very uh, nice uh, classification of seizures done by ILAE in 2017. Uh, you can see that uh, we try to uh, understand the seizure types and try to group into different epilepsy types, and hopefully we can come up with an epilepsy syndrome. On the right of this chart, you can see there are six etiologies. So the common etiologies for epilepsy, but not exhaustive, would include hippocampal sclerosis, stroke, brain tumor, any vascular malformation, any CNS infection, traumatic brain injury, autoimmune encephalitis, and last but not least, genetic. And of course, some cases are largely unknown. And don't forget when we want to diagnose somebody with epilepsy, we mustn't forget there are also other diseases that could look like epilepsy. So what are they? For example, syncope, especially a convulsive syncope, TIA, transient ischemic attack, migraine, panic attack, anxiety, psychogenic non-epileptic seizure, or we call PNAS, TGA stands for transient global amnesia, narcolepsy, as well as REM sleep behavior disorder. And again, there are many, many other causes that are not listed in this table. Diagnosis. This is uh, also a commonly discussed question. And a lot of people, non-neurologists, think that epilepsy uh, you know, needs EEG, CT scan, or MRI to, to be diagnosed. This is actually the wrong concept because epilepsy at present is still a clinical 
diagnosis. So good history taking is an important step to an accurate diagnosis, to an accurate diagnosis. And uh, we can try to get a history as much as we can to differentiate the mimickers and seizures or epilepsy. For example, if the attacks or events have an abrupt onset and rapidly progress within seconds to two or three minutes tops, most likely we are dealing with epilepsy or epileptic seizures. Whereas migraine, TIA, the mimickers of epilepsy tend to last longer than five minutes. Remember, for focus seizures, there are four A's that we have to look for during our history taking, which include the aura, absence, automatism, and amnesia. Uh, as an extension of your history taking, the past medical history is equally important as you learn from your medical school that will include uh, your perinatal history, any fibrous seizures, as we know, that would increase the risk of developing hippocampal sclerosis resulting in uh, temporal lobe epilepsy. IQ is important, especially the low one, that would probably be associated with some epilepsy syndromes. Any previous CNS infections, any illicit drug abuse, alcohol uh, consumption, as well as your family history. Physical examination is important. However, in most in epilepsy individuals, uh, we do not find any remarkable findings. We try to look for any lateralizing abnormalities, which can point to some structural lesions. And of course, do not forget there could be some neurocutaneous stigmata, which could point to as tuberous sclerosis, for example, periangular fibroma, as in this picture, Ashleaf macules, and this picture, and also the pot wine stain. And this picture. Investigation is important. However, this investigation uh, modalities are useful to support uh, the diagnosis of epilepsy. So one of the very important tools would be your electroencephalography, EEG. So an abnormal results, of course, support the diagnosis of epilepsy after your very careful uh, and detailed history taking plus physical examination. It's best performed within 24 hours of an event. However, bear in mind that a normal EG does not rule out or exclude epilepsy. And EG findings are sometimes non-specific and they're full of artifacts. So when reading and interpreting EG, we must be very careful and skilled in order not to over-interpret or under-interpret. And Brain imaging such as CT and MRI are important um, to exclude the culprit structural brain abnormalities such as an infarct tumor, hippocampal sclerosis, or even cortical dysplasia. For the latter two lesions, the MRI of the brain is preferred over the CT. Management, I'm going, I mean, management is alone is a very huge topic, and I can't finish it within this 15 minutes. So what I'm going to tell you is that uh, most patients would require the anti-seizure therapy to control the seizures. And epilepsy surgery is possible in cases of drug-resistant epilepsy. And uh, the epilepsy surgeries can be divided into these three main groups. If you see a lesion, for example, 
uh, an epilepsy case due to hippocampal sclerosis, we can do a lesionectomy, meaning that we uh, do an epilepsy surgery to remove the corporate lesion. If the lesion is not possible uh, for uh, resection, then we will do a disconnective surgery. For example, corpus callosotomy for dropotaxin, uh, Lennox, Gastaut syndrome, LGS. If the patients are not candidates for uh, any intracranial surgeries, we would probably propose neuromodulation, which includes vagus nerve stimulation and deep brain stimulation. With that, I would like to say thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Ku. Honestly, can I just say that, you know, coming into this podcast, really my understanding of epilepsy was very limited. And after this, I mean, I can't consider myself an expert on epilepsy, but this podcast has really just lifted my understanding and interest in the study of epilepsy. It genuinely is so much more than it was when we started shooting this episode. Thank you so much for that, Dr that amazing micro lecture, if I can call it that. But that really was amazing, doctor. So now let's move on to the question and answer segment of our podcast. So we've actually assembled a few questions. So let's dive right into that. So to start us off, what are some things that you can do to help someone if they're having an epilepsy episode? Thank you for the question. I think uh, this is uh, a very important I would say life-saving question because anyone can just um, throw a feet seizure just right in front of you. So there's no excuse that uh, you do not know how to do because you are the only one who can save his or her life. When you see somebody having a seizure, first it is something that you need to do. So uh, I just want to tell you that you have to remember these three S. S, yeah. So, which stands for stay safe and sight. So, what it means is that stay with the patient, stay calm. Because a lot of times you must remember when somebody is having a seizure, he or she can't respond. So, you have you are the lifesaver because you're so next to him or her. So, you must stay calm, stay with the patient, don't run away. Yeah. And then time the seizure, the onset. So this is the first S, stay calm. Number two, make sure it is safe. Meaning that you try to move away all the sharp, dangerous objects surrounding the patient. The third S is sight. So turn the patient to one side. This is to prevent saliva from blocking, blocking the airway and also to help the patient breathe easily. So, of course, there are a lot more to tell, but if you can't remember, and this is just a short Q&A session, remember three S, which means safe, safe, and sight. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, doctor. Honestly, that is a life-saving question, and the answer for which I'm sure can be very applicable. Those that tuned into this podcast, you guys are now more ready to deal with seizures than you were 20 minutes ago, which is amazing. So now on to our next question, which is, can epileptic medical students pursue surgery? 
Happy again. Thank you for the question. Well, I think uh, we must understand that uh, whether a student can pursue surgery or can become a surgeon, uh, it actually depends on the seizure control uh, and the type of the seizure. So it would be very risky if a seizure occurs during an operation. So if your seizures are not well controlled, for example, you have it like almost on alternate days or daily attacks, and your seizures are like generalized tonic-clonic seizures or even myoclonic jerks. Imagine if you're operating somebody and suddenly you have jerks, you know, you may, um, you may cause harm uh, to the patient who's on the table. So I think, um, as I said, it really depends on how well your seizure controls are. So there's nothing absolute. For example, if your seizure is very well controlled by medications and uh, most of your seizures are, are happening at night, for example, you know. So I think by all means, it's okay to go ahead and become a surgeon. So you have to be truthful and honest with yourself. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. I know these are rather unorthodox questions, right? But I think that they're quite interesting because I guess the answers to these questions could apply to a lot of the people that might be tuning into this podcast in the future, whenever it's out. So on to our next question. Do seizures stop occurring when you grow older or is it something that just continues with you as you age? Well, some seizure types are self-limiting and they do not persist into adulthood. Yeah. So again, depends on the epilepsy type. Right. Okay, 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 okay. So is epilepsy a genetic thing? And if not, what exactly causes it, Dr. Koo? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I think uh, uh, many, many uh, decades ago, uh, we started believing that this is a genetic cause. Uh, however, uh, we could not identify a single gene. And uh, nowadays, more and more uh, research findings have shown us that uh, this is a, a very uh, complex uh, genetic disorder. And we even have uh, edited or we have replaced the older terminologies like idiopathic generalized epilepsy with genetic generalized epilepsy so yes the cause can be genetic right okay that's interesting the more we know now now doctor one final question for you of all the amazing influential people that have built the field and study of epilepsy could you name one person that you look up to or someone you find inspirational really well um, when I was a medical student or even uh, as a fellow in neurology, uh, I never thought that I would become a person treating or specializing in epilepsy because uh, I felt that it was so complicated. And uh, yeah, you know, it's not that easy to understand the EEG and epilepsy. I wouldn't thought of it. Uh, however, I think uh, I had a very good mentor who was Professor Dr. Dr. Raymond Azman Ali. I think he comes quite often to IMU as an external 
examiner. I think you know him. It's a very renowned uh, uh, neurologist, senior consultant neurologist, as well as an epileptologist. So during his um, EEG teachings, while he was still with us at the UKM, I mean, he retired and he's now a staff uh, of the UITM. Uh, I felt that EEG was so simple, you know, after his, you know, very, um, uh, uh, I would say, very interesting way of teaching. Yeah, He made it very interactive. He made it very simple and he made it very uh, fun, I would say. So attending his class is very fun. And I did not feel very um, intimidated or I felt very inferior in front of this giant. Uh, he inspired us, he motivated us. So I think I, I learned a lot. Then after which uh, I was actually um, uh, 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 given a chance to uh, learn from some other giants in epilepsy, you know, who are equally humble and uh, very inspiring. So that's how I, I think I should pursue this pathway and, and treat our epilepsy patients. So I was lucky, I would say, and grateful uh, to all these teachers. Yeah. Wow. On, doctor, you've worked with giants in your field of study, which is really an opportunity I don't think very many people, you know, get. And that's amazing because we have you with us now. And, you know, maybe perhaps one day, uh, you know, if either Joyce or I become epileptologists, we, we can be like, so we actually got the opportunity to like, you know, be on a podcast with Dr. Cruz, you know, a giant in the field of elliptology, which is amazing. Um, and thank you. Uh, thank you. I, Looking forward. <laughs> uh, and um, what was I saying? Um, right. So just to like brush over everything that we, you know, explored and learned together in this podcast. So Dr. Ku took us through the definition, the prevalence or the epidemiology, causes, diagnosis, and treatment of epilepsy in such a short time span and incredibly comprehensively. Um, I, for one, really understand epilepsy to an extent that I didn't think I would till much later on in my you know, medical career. Um, and I mean, as a medical student, thank you so much for that, Dr. Ku. Joyce, do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, I would just like to thank us, thank our two speakers for today. Uh, of course, Dr. Cheng Sung Ku, who from UKM, who is um, giving us all the knowledge today, as well as our MC of today, Tiki, from AMSA AMU, who is giving us all the energy and his MC skills for today. So thank you very much to both of you today. And um, I've learned a lot. I hope our viewers, our listeners have also learned a lot and uh, looking forward to learning more every single day. Let's go. Um, Dr. Ku, do you have anything you want to say? I just want to say uh, how um, delighted and honored I am and thank you so much, even though it's for a short podcast. And I'm really, really looking forward to any future events. Uh, do give me a shout if you have any physical events or virtual events that I can be part of it. Yeah. All right. Next time, I will try to be, uh, how I should say, 
I'll try to understand more about epilepsy. <laughs> and I hope that more, more and more people will be interested in uh, neurology, not just epilepsy. And we need more neurologists uh, in Malaysia. I hope that all of you could be inspired a little bit by my lecture just now. Honestly, doctor, I like as a medical student, we get told that, you know, neurology is a very scary module because, you know, it's kind of challenging. At least that's what I've heard. But from your lecture just now, I have to say that was an incredibly approachable lecture. Like it was not intimidating at all. So, you know, and I guess that's just like the hallmark of an amazing lecture like yourself, doctor. Um, all right. So that wraps up our podcast for today. Um Stay tuned. Uh, there are a lot more episodes coming out for Your Daily Dose of Medicine by AMSA Malaysia, which is a podcast series once again. And yeah, uh, that's a wrap. See you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in.